Psalm 91 is where we carry on this evening. And in many ways, Psalm 91 connects somewhat well to Psalm 90 that we looked at together last time. Of course, Psalm 90, we saw the contrast between the the power and the sovereignty and the greatness of God and then the frailty of man and just the incredible difference between who God is and his greatness and that he's immortal and that we as human beings, that we're frail, that we're weak, uh, that we are mortal, that we have limited lives. The scripture was very clear. The Holy Spirit spoke about that very concept there right in the middle of the psalm reminding us that the Days of man, perhaps 70 years, maybe if given strength, somewhere around 80 years. Again, statistically to this day, even with modern medicine, that still seems to kind of be an average age of the departure. If something tragic or unfortunate doesn't interrupt our lifespan prior to that, that just kind of does seem to be the natural course of a lifespan. Psalm 139 tells us that all of our days were written in God's book before one of them ever came to be. Uh, So that means that from the moment of our conception, and the Bible tells us that God grants conception, uh, that God has a record, God has a number of days, and whether that would be uh, in a tragic sense that, you know, a child makes it a a few days and passes or a few weeks or a few months or again a life is ended very early or whether someone has a long extended life that there is a limited number of days that we have on this earth and God's fully aware of that it's like pages written in a book it's like chapters of different stages and seasons in our life and God knows that book well and that's why it's really good to know God because he's the author of the book Uh, And he knows what each chapter is about. He knows that the book has a beginning and an end. He knows what's on the page tomorrow that we haven't turned yet. I kind of look at life that way. It's like every day is kind of like a a page, you know, and you, you turn the page and it's a new day and his mercies are new morning by morning and great is his faithfulness. And so because of that, again, Psalm 90 told us that understanding that, that we should value life shouldn't waste our life. We should value each day. He said, teach us to number our days, to realize there is a number of days and that God has determined that and God ultimately really is in complete control of that if we don't do something presumptuous and foolish, that God is in complete control of the exact number of days that we're going to be here. And in some ways, it is, I believe, accurate as well as biblical to say that in some ways quite honestly i love what people text me in the middle of church service from church that's that's always humorous to me uh uh, sorry probably should delete that off the tape uh but (laughs) i use my phone as a stopwatch that's why i know that but god knows the exact number of our days And so therefore, in light of that reality, it is accurate really biblically to say that our life, as long as we live in fellowship with God and within the will of God, that our life is somewhat, you could almost say, indestructible, right, until God determines it's over. Doesn't mean we may not go through tragedies or hardship or sickness or disease that's very clear in the word of god we see people suffer we see people get sick we 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 see that throughout the word of god in balance 
But the reality of the termination of our life or the end of our days is completely under the sovereign control of God. And that should give us a sense of rest. That's one of the reasons why we shouldn't live in panic and anxiety and fear, but to realize, Lord, you know the last number of my days and you're going to decide that. Whatever that may be and however that may become, God is in complete control of that. And that's really intended to give us a degree of peacefulness. And so Psalm 91 really is the commentary on that reality. And that's why it goes very well and perhaps why the Holy Spirit put it as a companion psalm to Psalm 90 right afterwards, because Psalm 91 testifies of the supernatural protection of God. It speaks about the supernatural, miraculous preservation of God, that we could be in the midst of the most perilous situations We could be a soldier in a combat zone, dodging bullets and explosions. And yet, if we are in the will of God and it is not our determined time to depart from this earth, God can miraculously preserve. Psalm 91 is a favorite, favorite psalm of many people who are in the military. And and, and if you've read it or as we read through it, you'll see why. Because they cling to it as a degree of God, you are my protection, not this body armor, not my combat training, not even making right strategic moves on the battlefield. But God, you are my ultimate armor, my shield, my protection, the one who keeps me alive. Uh, And it is a favorite psalm of many to understand that reality that to those who walk in the will of the Lord that God can give to those of us who love him and serve him, if it be his will, miraculous preservation. He can spare us from danger. He can keep us from harm and from destruction and and shield us uh, and that we have a number of days to live within his plan, and nothing can destroy our life until God, who is sovereign over giving us that life, allows for that to happen. And so it's important to understand, as we read through this psalm, certainly we don't want to out of context, because we must always balance scripture with scripture, and we don't want to read the psalm in such a way whereby we presumptuously take it in this kind of word faith, name it and claim it. Okay, well, that says we can do whatever and nothing will happen to us. And so if you walk with God, nothing harmful can happen. Nothing, you know, of disease or illness or hurt or injury can take place because that, that doesn't align with the rest of Scripture. So it's not a blanket promise that nothing... Uh, you know, painful or problematic can come into our lives because the rest of the Bible teaches that in plenty of other places and examples. And there are truths that even tell us that very reality. But it is a psalm in a general sense saying that those who live in relationship with God can trust God's preservation. They can trust God to spare them. The, the, The missionary who who has to face the call of God, maybe to go to a very dangerous, perilous location, if they're called there by the Spirit of God, wants to some degree to have faith and know, you mean I can go, let's just use an example, I can go into a community as a medical professional 
and treat people with you know ebola or i mean or some you know pestilence or horrible disease and and somehow i'm not going to die i'm not going to put my own life in, i can actually love people in the name of jesus and take care of people and serve people or reach this community or go to a location where you know people have never heard the gospel and and i could be murdered and and it's very dangerous and threatening and and i can be spared and protected and god would say yes you can if i will you to be safe everyone else around you could perish but i can preserve and i can protect you and so this is the concept of the psalm here is to encourage us in that way, not as a blanket promise, but to remind us. And, and, and I, I, I put this as sort of a backdrop as we head into the psalm together, because it's a very fitting psalm, if you think about it, for the days in which we're living in. You're going to notice in this psalm that there are multiple references. For example, just glance at verse three, the end of it. My translation, the New King James Version, says, from the perilous pestilence. What's a pestilence? A disease, a sickness, right? We're living in the midst, these last 18 months to almost two years, of what has you know, ravaged our world, this COVID-19 and the pandemic and the, the, the fear and the anxiety and the terror. And of course, even the impact. I mean, there has been loss of life and, and illness, you know, and some of us have contracted COVID-19 and recovered, but others have contracted it and lost their lives from it. And so it, 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 it's a very fitting psalm because we're living in a day where on top of the fact that this virus is still having an effect, you know, even as we're also realizing as well, if you follow statistics, there are also other statistics that media doesn't want to report about as much that there are also people who are in huge degrees overdosing on drugs, committing suicide, domestic violence is out of control because people are so freaked out, so terrified so overwhelmed with fear and concern and worry and anxiety about their health that we have got people so scared about trying to not contract a virus that we're disregarding all the other destructive things that ruin lives and even take lives just as much. And so this psalm is a very wonderful psalm, especially for us as the people of God, because it should give encouragement to our hearts. It should help subside our fears and help us to have a confidence in the Lord, even as we live through maybe difficult or dangerous things, legitimate as they are. It's a great help in that way. So Psalm 91 begins in this way. And he says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So notice he's talking about the person, not who lives wild and loose and doesn't serve God, because that's always risky and dangerous. If you live outside of God's will, you're going to increase danger and destruction in your life. He's talking about the person who lives in close relationship with God. That's who the psalm is for. You notice as well, if you glance over in verse nine, what does he say? Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. Again, who's he saying this to? You who love the Lord. 
because you who love the Lord are going to live for the Lord. And it is just a general principle that if you love the Lord and you live for the Lord, is it not true? You're probably going to avoid a lot more dangerous living, right? I mean, just truth be told, if you love the Lord and you live for the Lord, just in general, you're going to do a lot less risky, dangerous, self-destructive type things in life. That's just, you live better when you live for the Lord. You don't do things that are more dangerous and destructive. Verse 14, again, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him and set him on high because he has known my name. Again, so it's, it's a psalm to encourage the one who loves the Lord, walks with the Lord, lives in close relationship with the Lord, that these are encouragements to our soul of God's protection and loving preservation. If he wants to miraculously keep us, He's an almighty God and he can do that. So verse one, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide, remain, the idea is abide, remain under the shadow of the almighty. So he begins the psalm describing how a person who dwells, and again, we've talked about before, where you dwell is where you live. So where you live, where you remain. He's saying the person who lives within the secret place, and I like that, the secret place of the Most High. Now, that term, the secret place of the Most High, shows up in a couple other places in the Old Testament. It shows up in Psalm 27 and in other places. And whenever it shows up in other places, it always infers something of the tabernacle, which, what was the tabernacle? It was the place where not only people worship, but it was the place where the presence of God was manifested, right? So whenever this concept, the secret place or the secret place of the Most High, it always is an inference of something to do with the presence of God, being in the presence of God. So what he's talking about here is the person who understands the value of living a life and dwelling and living in close to the presence of God, living in the secret, wonderful place, knowing what it means to get alone with God. And you know, for every one of us who know the Lord, that is a concept that we should always be trying to grow in and develop this understanding of that there is something so precious, so valuable about having that secret place, that, that alone place, the idea is where you get alone with the most high, wherever that is, whatever that looks like, you know, Jesus talked about even in, you know, the new Testament, when you pray, so you don't go out and pray in the open streets. He says, go, go into your closet. Remember, go in your closet and pray in your closet and your heavenly father who sees what you pray in secret, he'll reward you. In fact, he'll even reward you openly. But again, all throughout the word of God, we see this continual encouragement of getting alone with God. That secret place, you know, it's a wonderful thing to, to find a place. You know, I'm, I'm finding more and more in my life as, as I'm walking with the Lord that, that sometimes I almost have to discipline myself to get myself out of a religious rut routine where I, I almost try and find a, go find a different room in my house to go have my devotions. And, and, and there's almost just something in my brain that as I mix up routine, as I periodically do different things. It keeps me to get out of this kind of rut and routine where it's just a religious thing. And I remember again that what I need to be doing is spending time alone with God. 
That, that, that helps with the relational dynamic. I just need to find somewhere this place, you know, put my, get away from my phone, get away from this, get away from that, just some secret, quiet, alone place to just be in the presence of God, talk to God, let him, you know, speak to me from his word, just spend some time with him. And there's something about that. And so he says, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high will remain under the shadow. The shadow is kind of the picture there, of, uh, under the covering under the covering of the Almighty, that, that it's a safe thing to do, that someone who spends time alone with God builds a degree of safety into their life. There's just something very safe about that. You keep your life in a really safe place because you kind of then live within God's boundaries, right? One of the things, I, yesterday morning, I had the basic class with the, uh, the senior boys that I'm doing on, on Tuesday mornings, and, and we were talking about decision-making, and I said, you know, God's given us a lot of freedom in decision-making, but, but I said, he wants you to make decisions within the boundaries of the will of God and the word of God. He's given you lots of freedom, but just stay within the boundaries of God's word and God's will, and, and you can make different decisions. Just stay in that boundary because that's a really safe place to be. And when we spend time alone with God, he kind of helps us in our own decision-making. We avoid a lot of problems. We avoid a lot of dangerous things. You know, we maybe don't step in a direction where we shouldn't step, and we stay in a right path because we're abiding in a close relationship with God. So something very valuable about that. And he says the one who does that will have a a spirit of faith, verse 2, and will say of the Lord... He is my refuge. What's your refuge? It's, it's a place of safety from a storm, right? You'll have a sense of confidence as you spend time alone with God. A spirit of faith is stirred in your heart and you say, you know what? Yes, this may be dangerous. Yes, this battlefield's dangerous. Yes, out there in the world, it's dangerous. Yes, this could happen to me if I go here or I'm near these people or I'm with that. But you know what? God's my refuge. I spent time with God. God's with me. And, and, and his presence is with me and I'm under his shadow, under the shadow of his wing and, and, and he's going to keep me safe. He's my refuge. He's my protection, my fortress, he says. My God, in him I will trust. In other words, I don't trust necessarily in this or that or I don't even trust that I have to stay so in control that I'm constantly preserving and protecting myself because that'll really wake people out with stress and anxiety where they always feel like they have to be in control. Oh my gosh, if I don't stay in control, if I don't stay in control, if I don't stay in control. And, and that's what we're, sadly what we're doing in our culture today. We're making everybody feel like it's all about you. If you don't stay in control or you don't let the people who are in control tell you how to control your life, you're danger. But he says, in God, I'm trusting. <laughs> I'm trusting in God. I'm walking close with God. I'm gonna let God's wisdom guide me. And he's my refuge, he's my protection, my fortress, he's my God, and and in him I trust. I trust my life to him. He knows the number of my days, I trust my life to him. And then he says, verse 3, surely he shall, notice, deliver me from the snare of the fowler. Now that's not real common to us today, a fowler was someone who went out and captured birds in that day in the ancient culture, was someone who set traps to, to capture birds for prey and for food. So that's the idea here is that God will deliver his servant from the snares, the traps that are out there. And there are a lot of things out there that can trap us, right? 
we have an enemy of our souls spiritually who would always like to find a way to ensnare us and to trap us. And one of the things that's a benefit of walking in close relationship with God and trusting God is a lot of times he can protect us from things that would ensnare us. There are traps out there. The devil is good at setting traps and snares. That's what he wants to do. He wants to ensnare the people of God. He wants to get us caught into sin. He wants us to get us trapped into making bad decisions. And, and, and he says, as I trust God, God will keep me from putting my foot in the trap. He'll keep me from stepping into traps and people trying to trap me in things that I shouldn't be caught into. God will protect from that. And then verse three, there it is. And he'll also deliver and protect me from the perilous pestilence from the dangerous disease or illness or sickness. God can do that. He can protect us if he wills. He can allow us to get sick, but he also can protect us from not getting sick, right? That's the thing we have to remember. If it's the will of the Lord, I might get sick. If it's the will of the Lord for me not to get sick, he can protect me from the perilous pestilence. Just like he can protect the soldier from stepping on the landmine or getting shot on the battlefield. He can do that because he's God. He can protect us. And, and this is that encouragement. Verse 4, he says, he shall cover you. And here's kind of the, the analogy. He shall cover you with feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. So here the picture is like a mother hen calling her little chicks under her wing and they would come to find safety. And, and, and that mother hen would protect her little chicks out of love and care for them and put their feathers around them to keep them safe from anything that would harm them. Now, now verse 4 to me has a, always a, been a very personal verse from about 10 or 11 years or so ago. I was uh, driving into church on, on a Sunday morning. Some of you may know this. It was actually right when we first started the outreach Bible study down here in Atlantic County. And I'm going to try to get emotional to talk about this, but we were we were driving into church on a Sunday morning. My wife and my eldest daughter were away at a women's retreat, and I actually happened to be uh, on duty as a police chaplain that weekend. So thankfully, the the good part in the process is I destroyed the city police vehicle, not my own, because um, I got an auto accident. It wasn't my fault, but I was driving the police chaplain van. We had, they basically provided us a. a fit out police vehicle, but the chaplains had a van and we were in that van. So when we, when we responded to police, you know, emergencies and situations, we were in marked vehicles because the police department was too big for everybody to know each other by face. So we had to be uniformed. And, we, and so I had the vehicle. I was on my way into first service, probably like around, I don't know, you know, you know seven o'clock or something like that in the morning. We had two services and I told the girls, if you get ready quick enough, I had Carly, my youngest daughter and Megan with me, Trish and Abby were away. So you get ready early enough, I'll bring you through Dunkin' Donuts, I'll get you a donut if you get ready on time so daddy can get in our church. So we left, um, maybe that was the whole mistake, I shouldn't have taken him Dunkin' Donuts, I've been a few minutes behind. But as we're driving into church, we crossed over a large street that's kind of about maybe the size of like the you know, Black Horse Pike here, multiple lanes, you know, and as we were crossing over, we had the green light, and as we're going through the green light, went through the green light, and a vehicle T-boned us right on my side, right at my driver's side door, going probably 60, 70 miles an hour, whacked, our, whacked us, T-boned us in the minivan, flipped over our, our minivan, sent us across four lanes of traffic off the side of the road, 
hanging upside down by our, our you know, seat belts there. You know, by the grace of God, we really didn't sustain a whole lot of injuries. I mean, the Lord miraculously protected us. I mean, it was obviously a very bad and a horrific accident. But long story short, so I don't belabor the subject here, Carly, my youngest daughter, She said, you know, Dad, it was crazy. The whole time that we were in that accident, she said, I felt like when we were bouncing around the van, she said, I felt like we were in like a big pillow with a bunch of feathers. And she didn't know that Psalm 91.4 said, he shall cover you with his feathers. You know, and when you get in an accident like that and you, and you see how bad the vehicle is and all that stuff and all the, you know, the department, you know, showed up right away because they had overturned police vehicle and all that stuff. And you walk away from the van, you realize like, oh, my goodness, like that could have been bad. You know, like I can't believe it's one of those you can't believe you're walking away from the accident kind of thing like that. And, and I remember she said, I just felt like I was so weird Dad. I felt like there was like all these feathers all around the van. I was like we we're in this big feather pillow and. And maybe that's why we didn't get hurt or whatever. And at that time, she was 11 years old. I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't quite a Bible scholar then. I don't think she knew this verse. But she said that, and, and instantaneously, the Lord brought this verse to my mind. I thought, to my, oh, my goodness, that's crazy. Like, that's exactly what the Lord did. He just miraculously preserved and protected us because there's still more to do. There was still more time to serve. Uh, and God still had a plan for me and, and for my, you know, for my two daughters. And just, again, the, the reality that these kind of things, again, God doesn't promise bad things can't happen, but God can miraculously, if he chooses, protect us and preserve us. And I'm sure to some degree we all have those, you know, maybe stories or situations and things that we can think about. Maybe even times before you knew the Lord, you know, when you realize like God just intervened in some crazy way and kept you. And protected you, and you're thinking, "Oh my goodness, like that—that th- that was a miraculous, supernatural invention. Somehow, God protected me." Um, and, and and what a wonderful thing that God, in His love and His care, can do that for us. He says, "The end of verse four: His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. That is the smaller handheld shield, the buckler, the you know the, the larger shield." And I like that. His truth shall be your shield and your protection. Again, truth protects us in many ways. One of the biggest things we need protection from in life is error and deception. You know, so many things can deceive us and misguide us. We can believe lies and get brought off track by things that we hear and we don't. But the truth is like a shield, man. The truth can shield your mind from bad decisions, can protect you from going down roads you shouldn't. And how wonderful God's truth is one of the greatest forms of protection and shielding that we have. He says, verse five, to the servant of the Lord, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Now, this sounds a lot like a battlefield, doesn't it? Terror by night, getting attacked in the middle of the night, the arrow that flies by day, nor of, again, here's our word again, or the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So whether it's morning, noonday, 
or the middle of the night, verse 5 and 6 tell us very clearly that the servant of God who trusts God and knows God loves them and is in control of their life and is their preserving influence until the day they are determined to depart from this world that we don't have to live in panic. We don't have to live terrified. We don't have to live afraid to die. What if, but instead we can know, yes, that may be scary, arrows flying by my head at noonday, but I don't have to live on top of that in constant anxiety, constant fear, because I can know that whether it's arrows being shot at me on a battlefield, whether it's the arrows of the enemy trying to you know, shoot arrows at me and destroy my life spiritually. Or he says, verse six, or again, there's that word, the pestilence that walks in the darkness. What a, what a fitting description for pestilence or disease or sickness or virus, right? Because that's really how it works. I mean, you know, even prior to, again, things like the, you know, the problematic, you know, pandemic we've had with COVID-19, we've always had colds and viruses for all of human history. And, and let's just be very candid. Who in the world has ever figured out, like, how in the world did I get a cold? I mean, how many times, all of a sudden, you just, you start gradually getting sick, the sniffles, sore throat, and you're thinking, where did I get a cold from? You don't know, because there's there's microscopic, tiny, how in the world does it happen? We don't understand how it happens. We know it does, but, and that's the idea there. How can you control whether or not you're going to catch some tiny, little, microscopic virus cold disease you can't even see the thing it's the, you can barely see it under the microscope and what he's saying is you can't see it and run from it and avoid it it is so small this tiny little thing it's it may get you it may not get you but again the will of the lord be done right doesn't mean we're presumptuous and foolish but the will of the lord be done and but we don't have to live in constant terror of it we don't have to, you know, that we talk to people who can become like a germaphobe. I can become a little bit of a germaphobe if I were to be honest myself. But, but again, not to the point where it just, it literally makes you go crazy in your mind and you live in fear and anxiety all the time. Because look what he says, verse seven, a thousand, and again, he's talking to God's servant, a thousand may fall at your side. Oh my goodness. It's going to happen to me. I've watched a thousand soldiers die on the battlefield next to me. I've watched a thousand people die from this disease or, you know, I've watched a thousand other people be taken down or, or a thousand may die at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, even more, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eye, you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. So again, God says you may watch 10,000 people fall from the same thing. But if it's God's will to keep and protect you, he will and he can. Is that not wonderful? Is that not a wonderful truth for any missionary who would be scared to go to a scary place that's terrifying and to realize? But, but other people have died there. And for the missionary to say, I know, but God can keep me alive if it's the will of the Lord for me to go do this or to enter into that situation or to do... God can protect me because he's a miraculous, supernatural God of preservation. And he can do that. And again, that's that encouragement to our soul. And again, he says, verse nine, because you have made the Lord, 
who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, because you live in him and not live recklessly out in the world. He says, no evil shall befall you. Notice he doesn't say no harm or no hurt because that could happen. But he says no evil. It's, it would be within the will of the Lord is what he's saying. The devil's not going to have access to your life just like he didn't have access to Job's life unless God, who's sovereign of your life, would for his will and purposes allow that. Remember, the devil could not touch Job unless God granted permission, and it was for the purposes of the will of the Lord. So he says, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Boy, that's a great thing to claim and hang on to once in a while. Lord, please keep the plague from my dwelling. Maybe at my neighbor's dwelling, but if you can keep it from mine, that would be great. Whether it's, you know, everybody getting a stomach virus or whatever, you know, <laughs> we prayed that a, a time or two. I remember a few years ago when remember, a few of you were here, we had the stomach virus plague running around the whole congregation here for a little bit. It seemed like for a week or two there. I think everybody in the whole church is, but Lord, please, please, <laughs> not in our dwelling, not in our dwelling, please <laughs> keep it in their dwelling, Lord, not in our dwelling. We don't want the plague in our dwelling. For he shall give, verse 11, his angels charge over you. Now, notice again, we're talking here about angelic protection. Now, here's the ministering spirits, angels. God gives them to us to help us as the heirs of salvation. Angelic beings, one of their jobs is to help us, to aid us, to strengthen, to protect us, the Bible says. And notice, he shall give his angels charge over you. None of this... You pray to angels, oh, angel of protection. Help. No, God commands his angels to protect you. There's none of this asking for the angels to help. It's asking for God to help. And if God wants to dispatch one of his angels as a servant, that's what God does. It's none of this depending upon angels. It's depending upon God. And God may send his angels as one of his ministering spirits to come help. So he says he shall give his angels charge over you the idea is responsibility i believe you know when we look in the word of god it is very likely that that, that truly that god does assign perhaps an angel uh, and you're free to disagree some of what i read in the gospels it almost seems that god assigns an angel because it says that their angels be, appear before my face and so it seems that god almost assigns an angel at times to some of us, some of your angels may be in therapy and about to have a nervous breakdown compared to others, I'm certain, you know, the way that some of us have lived. But he gives his angels charge over us, he says, to keep you in all your ways, to preserve you, to protect you, to shield you in all your ways. In their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The idea is lest you have a horrible injury or something happened to you that his angels are able to provide that preservation and your protection. Verse 13, he says, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Now, again, he's not encouraging doing that foolishly. The indication there is just trying to paint a poetic picture of protection because think about it. What are two very fierce, threatening animals? A lion, right? You don't want to come across a ferocious lion. You're not going to have a very good chance. Or a cobra. You don't want to get bit by a cobra. That's venomous and dangerous. So what he's saying there, in essence, poetically, is that God can give us protection and safely, miraculously, through angelic preservation against 
the most dangerous things possible on this earth, a ferocious lion. Isn't there a story in the Bible, if I remember it correct, in the book of Daniel about being thrown in a what? Lion's den. (laughs) And God didn't let the ferocious lions kill Daniel. He, He shut the mouths of the lions. Miraculous. Miraculous, right? Uh, he says he can protect you from a cobra. Again, the Bible, interestingly enough. Also, if we think of this spiritually, what are the, the metaphors used at times to describe Satan? That he's, First Peter says that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the Bible also pictures Satan like a serpent, right? Like a snake. And so in the same way, spiritually, God can protect us and intervene through his angelic messengers coming to assist and to guard and protect our lives, or even from just legitimate physical danger. Now, you may recognize verse 10 and 11 there because those very verses end up showing up in the temptation of Jesus. If you remember in the Gospels, when Jesus is being tempted by Satan, it tells us, and on three different occasions... Satan presents different temptations to Jesus, and on each occasion, Jesus quotes the word of God to resist the devil's temptation. And it's a very beautiful thing, because what Jesus proves to Satan in that situation is, Satan, I don't have to be God to overcome you. I can simply be a man, because he was a man in his humanity. I can simply be a weakened man in my humanity, filled with the Holy Spirit, and knowing the truth of the word of God as my shield and my buckler, and I can submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from me. And I'm thankful for that because that shows me that Jesus defeated the devil in that way as a great encouragement to how we can defeat the devil in the same way, as a weakened man or woman filled with the Holy Spirit, but knowing the word of God and submitting to God and resisting the devil by claiming the truth of God's word and yielding to that, and not yielding to what the devil says. But these very verses here show up in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 4, I can remind you of what happened there. It tells us the devil took Jesus to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple that is high up, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And then he quotes Psalm 91. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now take notice there. What does the devil do? The devil quotes the word of God, even as a way to try and tempt Jesus to do something outside of the will of God. He tempts Jesus using the word of God. Always remember that the devil knows the Bible. The devil knows the word of God. So don't be fooled at times. Just when someone quotes the word of God, well, they can quote the word of God. They know the word. The devil knows the word of God. And so the devil quotes the word of God, but he tries to twist it in a way where he's trying to encourage Jesus to be presumptuous. He's basically saying to Jesus, come on, if you're, if you're the son of God, why don't you prove it? I, I mean, prove God's protection. You know what that Psalm 91 says? Jump off the pinnacle of the temple and he'll send his angels to come and catch you. And right before you crash at the bottom there and, and, and his son, his angels to, to come and protect you, protect you. And he quotes the word of God to which Jesus then says this, Quotes from Deuteronomy, he says to to Satan in light of that, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, what does Jesus do? And this is perfect for this psalm. 
Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, and he says, you're correct, the word of God says that. However, the word of God also says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that you're not supposed to tempt or test God presumptuously. In other words, you're not supposed to try and force God's hand. You're not supposed to say, oh, well, the Bible says that he'll send his angels to protect me, so let me jump off a cliff because I've never seen an angel do that before. And Jesus says, no, that's called stupidity. (laughs) That's just foolishness. You don't tempt God and and be presumptuous and do something risky and foolish. And I love what Jesus does because Jesus understands, yes, God's protection, God's preservation, God's sparing is a very real thing. But he also says, but the word of God keeps everything in balance. So we don't do foolish things. We don't get risky and foolish and do dumb and dangerous things. Doesn't mean we don't use precaution in life and put on a seatbelt. I don't need to wear a seatbelt because if I get an accident, then... The angels will just be my seatbelt automatically. Well, if that would have been the case, I wouldn't have been here 10 years ago. We don't do foolish things because the word of God says you don't tempt God. You don't test God. You don't act in a way that's brazen and presumptuous and risky and then say, well, I don't understand. Why didn't God protect me? Why Why didn't God watch over me? Why didn't he send his angels? Jesus himself said, no, you don't do that. And the word of God comes to us in balance. What the word of God is saying is that we live in the will of God, we walk in the will of God, and we don't have to be paranoid because if God needs to protect us, God can protect us when something dangerous happens if he needs to preserve our life and to spare us. And so we can rest in that reality. And again, Satan tried to use these verses in Jesus very beautifully, balanced out the word of God and bad theology from the devil by bringing up these very verses from Deuteronomy to counterbalance this. Verse 14, the psalmist goes on to say, because he has set his love upon me. Now notice, can you tell the language just changed there? Who's speaking now? God is, right? First person. Because, God says, because he has set his love upon me, because my servant loves me, therefore I will deliver him. Again, here's this balance to this again. You don't deliver somebody unless they're in trouble, right? You need deliverance when you're in trouble. So God is saying in the same Psalm, sometimes you may need deliverance. Doesn't mean you're not gonna get into trouble. You're not gonna have problems in life. God says, I'm not promising a problem-free life. What I'm promising is if you get in trouble because you love me, I can deliver you. I can step in and deliver you when the problem comes, if that's necessary. I can protect you from a problem, But like Daniel, when you're in the lion's den, I can also deliver you out of the lion's den. I can deliver you out of the fiery furnace. God says, because he loves me, my servant, I will deliver him. I'll set him on high because he has known my name. Again, the person who knows God is promised to be set on high. That is to be lifted above that which would threaten their life. Verse 15, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. And that's what we want to do when we are in a precarious spot is to call upon the Lord. Lord, I'm in danger. I'm in trouble. I'm in a problem here. Lord, I'm scared. This is threatening. Lord, this is risky. Uh, you know, I'm walking out on a battlefield. Lord, I'm, 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 I'm doing this or I'm doing that. I mean, let's just, just continue to keep using personal, real present analogies. Lord, I'm scared to go back to church. Who didn't do that at one point? Lord, I'm scared to go back to church. Lord, if I go back to church, are you going to keep me safe? Are you going to keep me healthy? And and, and he says, so call upon me. 
Call upon me, he says. And look what he says. I will be with him in trouble. So it's not that trouble doesn't come. God promises his presence is with us in trouble. So when you're in trouble, God says, because you love me, you won't be alone. You know, that's, that's so wonderful. You know, as I went through the, what I did the, just the last week with the, you know, the, the pain and the ambulance trip and being in the hospital for a few days and, 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 and how wonderful in the midst of that to least in the midst of the misery, the pain and the problematic situation to at least know. And when my wife had to leave at night and there's no bit, Lord, I'm not alone in this room here. I'm not alone. You're with me here. Lord, you're with me here in trouble. I love you and you are with me here in trouble. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. And I want just to, to have that blessed assurance that if you know God, technically, it is incorrect to ever say that you're lonely. Now, I know that almost sounds like insensitive. But technically, the word of God says his presence is with us, right? I will never leave you or forsake you even in trouble. So God says, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him. How wonderful. God says, in the midst of all you're going through, I can bring satisfaction, fulfillment, a sense of meeting whatever the longing is, that God can bring satisfaction to our lives when we need it. And show him my salvation. Again, the idea of salvation is deliverance, being set free, like salvation of the people of Egypt from Israel, salvation from whatever is threatening us. It's deliverance from peril or that which would ruin us. And what a wonderful close to such a psalm. With long life, God promises to satisfy us as his servants and to show us his salvation. To show us what it looks like, God says, sometimes I even like, and forgive me if I'm overstepping my bounds to say God would actually like that. Sometimes I almost sense God saying, sometimes I almost like when you're in a precarious situation because it gives me a chance to show I'm God. Sometimes I wonder if God says, it gives me a wonderful opportunity to have that soldier in a combat zone. And I respect those who do that. I've never done it and they should be honored. And, and God help those who disrespect those who have the courage to step out on a battlefield for the freedoms of our nation. But you have to wonder if sometimes with some soldiers and those just God saying, it gives me a chance to show them. I can keep them alive out there. I can protect them in the midst of that. Or, or to let us go through some troublesome time or a perilous situation or something that is a little bit scary or, or where we have to kind of take a step of faith. You know, there have been times in my life where I've, I've taken steps of faith. I remember when Hurricane, I think it was Katrina, happened years ago. If, if I'm remembering the right one, it was before we moved here and everything was going on, you know, down south and, you know, in the New Orleans area there. And, and I just sensed so strongly that the Lord was telling me, you cannot sit here. You've got to do something. And so I called a few guys in the church and I said, look, I have no plan. I have connection to no ministry, but I just, we, I can't, we have to just go try and do something. So I convinced two other guys who aren't very smart either to get in a pickup truck. We got peanut butter sandwiches. We took turns driving 
all the way down. It started looking like a war zone when you got close enough to the location. Didn't even know how we were going to get in, what we were going to do, whatever. And I, to this day, still remember. I still, to this day, remember doing that and thinking, man, this is, this is crazy. And that you're seeing signs, if you loot, we will shoot. And people are walking around at gas stations, literally carrying what – I mean, it, it was – it was almost like a, it was like, it's like tribulation, man. These people were like ready to shoot each other because it was, it was getting that crazy and that bad. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. My actual pastor called me and, and he called me on the phone and he said, what are you doing? You're going to get killed. What, what are you doing? You got a wife. You got kids. What are you doing? And I just said, I'm obeying the Lord. I, I know it sounds cr- I'm just, don't make me more scared. I'm scared enough. <laughs> But I just try, I believe God's telling me to do this, and he's going to keep me safe. And you know the one wonderful thing is, is not only did God keep us safe, we, we got in with the police department. They let us sleep with the police department. I was safer than anybody down there in Louisiana. I, mean, I was sleeping next to guys with M16s around me. Uh, we, we, were, we were eating good food. We were helping out. We were doing things. But sometimes I almost wonder if God, to some degree, allows or gives us opportunity Again, I'm not talking about being presumptuous like the devil to test the word, to step into something that there may be a little bit of risk. Maybe there is a little bit of risk. Maybe it is a little bit precarious, but God's, you know, taking steps of faith sometimes involves a little bit of risk. But to say, if the Lord's in it, he'll keep me, he'll protect me, he'll preserve me, he'll watch over me. And so I'm going to take a step of faith and and I'm just going to trust the Lord. That, that, that if he's in this, he can keep watch over me and take care of me. So look, I'm not encouraging you to be presumptuous, but I'm telling you, if at times you're prompted in faith to do something, don't let fear hold you back from stepping into something that God may want you to do that does seem a little scary, or let's use the word risky, dangerous, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, and giving God a chance sometimes to show you he can preserve, he can protect, he can sustain, he can deliver you from the trouble, and, and, and given God a chance to demonstrate his power and glory and to satisfy you in the midst of that and to show you his salvation. You know, as I read verse 16, as he says, I'll satisfy him with long life and show him salvation. What came to my mind, because again, we always want to think about Jesus in the midst of everything that we look at in the word of God. I read verse 16. And I thought, boy, that really reminds me of Jesus. Because how did God show us his salvation? John 14, Jesus said to the boys, he said to him, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again so that where I am, there you may be also. And they said, Lord, we don't know the way. How are we going to know where you're going? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father in heaven except through me. And then what did they say? Show us the Father. If you just show us the Father, that will be enough for us. In other words, show us God. And that'll give us enough confidence to trust what you're saying right now. And then what did Jesus say? Philip, have I been with you that long? And you don't realize if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I am God. I've been living with you. Isn't that exactly what Psalm 91, 16? I will show him my salvation. Wasn't that God showing his salvation? Jesus was his salvation. In the flesh, he was salvation. And it's through Jesus, we don't just get long life. We get what? Eternal life. The absolute best, right? Let's stand together. Let's pray.